100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined once again by Zach Farrenbaugh of The Hunting Public. So this is part two of the, from the episode that I dropped earlier this week, and Zach's style of ground hunting whitetails is very unique and extremely effective. So on this part of the discussion, we discuss buck scraping cadences, just buck behavior in general condition-based hunt planning, which I think this section is really important, and then sleeping in versus getting into the tree before first light, setting up for wind shifts, and much more. Next week, I will not have a Mountain Buck Monday episode or, um, I guess, segment in here as I'll be I'll be gone. Alberta, I won't be able to most likely upload any of the 
uh, photos or anything there. So we'll have a break on, on Mountain Buck Monday for next week. But um, as we're getting into it here, the, the rut's definitely kicking off, even with the warmer temps and everything. And this is the time I'm recording this. This is Tuesday. I've, uh, I take it, well, I took the, the morning off of hunting, uh, was, was pouring down rain here, but mostly because I needed to find time this week to catch up on stuff and get some podcasts edited and out for the next couple of weeks as I'm traveling and doing some other hunting. But yeah, here in Pennsylvania, it's definitely kicking off. Saw some rutting activity last night. Uh, yesterday, like 1230, had a buck cruising through. Uh, and then at 430, a bunch of chasing going on. I was just on the wrong spot of the Laurel Edge where they came out of. They were only about 45 yards from me, but I, it was so thick that that I wasn't able to get a good view of them there. But one buck came out chasing the does. Another one came, started making a scrape, and then headed in their direction. But just time spent in the woods at this point. So hope everyone's having some good luck. If you haven't already, check out the new Deer Camp collection of apparel at eastmeetswesthunt.com. Got the blaze orange beanies and hats that are up there, the Mountain Buck series ones of those. Uh, the Deer Camp hats, like the one I have on, has been extremely popular. These ones have been been selling great, so thank you guys for supporting there. Hoodies, shirts, a whole bunch of other stuff available there. So they will be shipping even when I'm out. Uh, just allow five to seven days for them to ship during this time of year. But again, thank you so much. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Give it a rating and review. And uh, we will talk to you next week. I, I was going to say something about, you know, we were just talking about the differences in the actual sounds and, you know, it's probably not going to happen very often. Obviously, like we just said, like you're probably not going to nail down a buck's grunt. Just probably not going to hear it enough. But what you can do is take deer tendencies and deer habits and like really visualize that and get good at knowing like what bucks do in general. Like again, watching that, watching footage and just knowing exactly how they move their head. Like something that always stands out to me when I'm call or, or when I'm watching a buck and what I try to do when I'm calling is how bucks make scrapes. Like they don't, they do it in a very, very specific sounding way. And I think they do it not only to leave their scent, but if they can let somebody know that they're here doing this, they're going to make a racket about it. I mean, I'm sure you've seen and heard that. Oh, oh yeah. All of a sudden it's like, he comes off the ridge. Like I remember this one when I was, when I was younger, this big old buck, just big old one side and just had straight up just three points on his other side. And, uh, he come, comes off the ridge right at last light and he lets out a, a, a grunt. When he left his bed, I remember him, him grunting, but it was like one of these deals. Like even back then it just was super obvious what was happening. Like prime time, lighting all of a sudden there's a deer walking that was not walking right there and like as soon as he starts walking he grunts he walks down the ridge a little bit but when he does it's just you know just constant consistent walking then he stops and then it's just like just pawing the leaves back you know but it's like there's a cadence to how they do that. You know, maybe some do it a little bit faster, but for the most part, it's like one, two, three, you know, and then they switch and they do it with the other one. <laughs> and it's like, if you just watch that and listen to that, I mean, hell, just watch a YouTube video of it is, is like, you know, you don't even have to wait for the experience in real life. It's like, you can just watch that and just get reps sitting at home before you go to sleep, you know, whatever. You just get a bunch of reps doing that. And then on top of that, then how they work their antlers in a licking branch is seems extremely consistent to me. If you watch most bucks do it, they get their antlers in there and a lot of times they'll make one big swoop through it and they'll like, you know, try to like either, I don't know if they're breaking the, the branch or getting just sent on the licking branch or probably both. But they'll a lot of times a big mature buck will like really rip through it once and then he stops and he listens. He always is going to stop 
and give it a break. And he's, li- I, I seriously think that they're just listening because they're obviously like creating havoc in the woods. Like they yeah. just pounded the ground and you know they're they're <laughs> trying to be heard it's the same thing like the buck that i just talked about that did the grunt thing and then walking plowing through everything like he's not trying to be stealthy in that moment same no. thing with you know bull, bull elk do it all the time where they just make tons of noise where there's plowing stuff and they're and they're obviously bugling but since deer don't bugle you know they do different stuff but they do that that you know very specific hoof to dirt and then if you watch them man they almost do you know what i'm talking about they're, yeah they're that, they're attention whores and they and they, 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 <laughs> so it's funny because like that's why i know you don't run trail cameras but when i run them on video now yeah. Dude, and i'm sitting here asking you and it's just like yeah you've probably seen it like way more than i have even well, because because it cameras on on screen. yeah and i put them on video now and it's just like they have like i've had one i have my favorite video is a freaking giant i don't know 14 or 15 point buck that disappeared on me but anyways <laughs> oh, just he a starts, 15 pointer he said yeah That's he all? starts doing it and literally the dirt's hitting my camera like it's being thrown like that what? far and it was in the snow That's right after nuts. snow and he's just tearing it up and and so it's funny last last year after seeing this video the video is from 2020 and i was like all right during hunting season when i'm freshening up my scrapes that i'm going around i'm going to try to do it with this cadence that they have and i remember my tag was filled but i was going out and i was moving cameras to learn for the the year and i went out and i started doing that and a buck came running right in like it was a two-year-old deer and I think you I put that on your story, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And yeah, he came, I remember he came that. running right to like I don't know twelve yards, and I was like to chip shot range. Oh yeah, it was like of co- it's because I didn't have a bow and I didn't have a tag, so like, that's why he did that. But <laughs> yeah. it, it just showed like that sound, you know, can you know bring them in, and and again they like they like that attention when they're doing that for some yeah. reason, yeah. and I I don't know it's it's got to be just. It's their egos, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, 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 do, I do think it's like a, a, a proving that I'm dominant, right? Like I'm yeah. tough as hell. Like I'm I'm strong. I'm tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna a bunch tear of tear up this dirt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm gonna just I, like I always think like how hilarious it is to like that buck that I keep talking about that was that we didn't get the shot at that did the long grunt. Like, what was he thinking when he's just plowing through stuff, making that much noise? It's just like, I'm going to just raise hell. Like, I got no, I got, I just got to prove that I'm crazy. You know, I'm the toughest SOB around. And it's like, it's pretty hilarious. But like, animal, like a lot of animals do that. You know, I mean, I, like, even like, uh, you know, the way like dogs will posture up to each other, you know, they just get growling and stuff like that. It's the same, it's the same. I mean, humans do it too, right? Puffing yeah. their chest out and trying to be tough. It's just like the same the same thing. And I think if you're doing you know, if you're applying that to your hunts, it it can just make a huge difference when you're calling to stuff, especially when when the conditions are calling for it. And and you I like to use calling strategies on condition based situations as well. Like it, for example, those those series of hunts that I had in Ohio um, that season, it was really warm, really dry, and really calm to the point that it was unbearable for a guy like me that likes to still hunt. It was it was probably one of the most like mentally draining hunts that I've ever been on just because we just had to go in. We, we just had to set up. Like there was just not a really great way to sneak in the ways that I like to. And we saw this buck cruising and he came on the bench below us and it was one of these deals where it's dead calm. So I'm like, oh, grunt calls certainly going to get his attention. And for whatever reason, I, I still don't totally understand how he didn't hear us. And based off the way he reacted to the rattle, I don't think that he was ignoring us, but he was not that far below us. And it was just, like I said, dead calm, but you know, maybe with the terrain and just open air that was around us in general. Maybe it just wasn't getting down there. I don't, I don't, I, again, I don't, totally yeah, I remember watching that. that video. I, I remember this hunt as you're talking about with that buck coming down and, but the, 
it didn't seem like he was that far away from you. No, I, I mean, he, I, 80 tops, like he might have even been like, you know, 60. Like, it, I, but somewhere in that range is what I would guess if, it, you know, from my memory of it. Maybe, maybe, you know, Keith would disagree. He was with me for that one, but I remember him going down through there. Initial instinct is like grunt. That's a, that's a no doubter. And, um, also what what was cool about that spot is there was there was nowhere that buck could get our wind like i even after all this played out i'm pretty convinced that he never actually smelled us and and i'll i guess finish the story and it'll explain why i think that but he ended up passing us running parallel to you know the ridge that we were facing down he just went right past us but he was below us and you know 80 yards out and it was one of these deals where typically I would just chase him or like, you know, follow him and just use like, you know, whatever condition you're dealt with that day to your advantage, whatever you can. But like, we didn't have any conditions in our advantage that day. You know, we were going to sound so loud coming off that ridge that there was just no way. And we contemplated for like a couple minutes, I think, like, should we, like, can we pull that off? And it's just like, it just... You know, I hated to say I hated to say that, but it was just like, nah, not in this situation. I really don't think we can. And I was like, should we just rattle? Like that's the last option. And we decided to do it. We pulled the trigger, and next thing you know, we're rattling full bore, rolling around on the ground. I'm, you know, stomp. I'm I, like using the antlers to like stomp onto the ground. Yeah, I remember me, that. Just <laughs> keep him keeping leaves moving the whole time and breaking sticks and stuff and i mean dude that thing ran to point blank like so fast to that i mean he caught me completely off guard and i made a huge mistake this is like one of the like the most bonehead mistakes i've ever made and i, I love i honestly love talking about it because it just just rubs it in that much more and i need that I need it to piss me off or it's not going to do it's not going to do its job as a as a lesson. But when I started to rattle, I moved my bow behind me. Just didn't think about it as, at all, but the, I you know, the reason I did it is because it was where I was going to be making all that leaf noise. Yeah. And just like, you know, obviously you can't just crush your bow, right? So you move your bow naturally. <laughs> well, that put the bow right at my back and all of a sudden this buck is, you know, 15 yards and closing and the bow's behind me and I not even turned in the right direction. I think I got turned, but I don't know that I much more than grabbed my bow and he was at like six yards broadside (laughs) and I just needed to be drawn at that point. And I mean, it would have been the most easy shot and he, so I had actually just before this got out and there was a log that ran in the direction that he went that reached all the way out to where he stopped. And if you watch that footage closely, it took me a while for this to like, I didn't think about this in the moment. It does. It doesn't really matter. I don't think, but it's interesting to me. I had walked out on that log just to get a little bit different angle, but the only way I felt comfortable moving, cause like I said, I mean, we're talking a foot, of leaf matter that is just like the oh, loudest yeah. stuff you've ever been in. And I didn't want, I really didn't want to move at all, like walk at all. So I walked down that log cause it was the only way I could be quiet, but it also allowed me to just kind of peek in a, some slightly different areas and just glass a little bit more than what I had been. Interestingly enough, when he runs up there, the thing that sets him off is that he puts his face, go back and watch it sometime. If you're yeah. thinking about it, he slams on the brakes because I think that he's like is hovering right over where that log is. And then, then he starts looking and he looks towards us and we're sitting there like fools. He definitely looks at us. Don't get me wrong, but he does it right after he slams on the brakes when his nose crosses over that log. And I really think that he just like picked up on that again, doesn't really. Yeah, and again, it doesn't really matter. I just find that kind of interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't change the fact that I walked out on that log. I don't think that, I guess, you know, I didn't do anything wrong there. What I really did wrong is two things. 
obvious one is I put my bow behind me. The other thing is I should have just stopped rattling sooner and listened because I would have heard him coming for sure. Like no doubt about it. And even with my bow behind me, had I stopped rattling, I'm so I cut the clip down when I edited the video because I mean, nobody really wants to watch two and a half minutes of guys rattling. So, you know, you cut it to an appropriate length that like makes sense. But if I remember right, it was like, I think it was like two and a half minutes that we rattled. And I was like, you know, I talk about this a lot. I don't know if I've ever said it to you, but when I edit video, it's like watching game film for like a football game. Yeah. Like I just sit there and I watch the mistake over and over again. That's that's how I pick up on like the log thing or, you know, um, like the uh, the fact. Well, the fact also knowing the fact that we rattled for that long, and I remember watching it afterwards and like feeling uncomfortable, you know, because you know the outcome already. Obviously, yeah. like, ah, Wait, why did I actually rattle that long? That's entirely too long. Had we just stopped and taken a break? Even just for like a split second, he it w- it would have been really easy to hear him. So that's 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 because you were having too much fun with it. You were getting into we, it. Yeah, dude, we <laughs> were, we were, and and it was really fun because you kind of felt more confident than ever that it was going to work. And at the very beginning of the story, I said, you know, I like to to call condition based, and you know. All of the things that we've talked about, like how deer make these different noises, it gets a lot easier on calm days. You can really like uh, broadcast that scraping situation when it's really calm. If it's super windy, it is not as worth doing it, I don't think. So like windy days, I don't worry about calling nearly as much, but on calm days, I definitely keep that on... And in my mind, going into the hunt, like, hey, today we're going to get aggressive calling. It may switch tactics or, like, style or location just based off of uh, wind condition. And I I actually, when I'm hunting well, I'm really paying attention to that. When I'm, when I'm not hunting well, I, like, I feel that I'm, ke- I'm, I'm late to the decision of the strategy for that day. So like going into the season, like going into having my first whitetail tag of the season, something that I'm really going to focus on this year is paying attention to the conditions and making a really solid plan or strategy plan, whatever you want to call it for those conditions. And, and I, I do that, generally but last year i had some some specific hunts that i just felt like i somehow i just let some obvious factors go right over my head and i put myself in bad not bad but less than ideal situations because i wasn't paying enough attention to the really really specifics of those you know of the weather forecast really is what you're looking at it's just like what's your wind doing which direction is your wind, obviously, which, um, you know, is it going to be cloudy? Is it going to be sunny? How much wind is there? What hours of the day is the wind going to be, you know, at its highest and lowest? And then, you know, what moisture are you dealing with? Did you get rain? Did you get snow? You know, is there dew? Is there frost? You know, all those factors make a difference. And if you look at that and you just Say, hey, tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna throw this situation, or we're gonna throw this strategy in this spot based off of these conditions. You usually hunt better. And last year, I just felt like I had some laps where I just like, <laughs> I mean, one day, dude, I walked into this spot and I was like, what am I doing? The wind is at my back and it ain't gonna change. Like we're going in a place where it is not good for that, and I just walk right back out of there. That was it. Yeah. That was like first thing in the morning. And it's just like, what are you doing? And I think, I mean, that's a really bad example, but you know, paying attention to all those really specific things. Yeah. When I do that, I hunt better. 
Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. You know, and I, 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 I'm glad you said that because I think, I think most people look at the wind. Okay, they look at the wind, or they look at like precipitation from the standpoint of do I need to bring my raincoat? You know, right. more so than the strategy, and and you know, but especially with like hunting off the ground, but even from a, a tree standpoint, it's like, you know, as far as if you're going to be walking. The, the quietness, what can you get away with? Like, yep. or higher wind days, you can get away with a little bit more of that. But okay, maybe the deer are bedded differently because of that. Okay, like, you oh, know, so yeah. for example, you and I talked about it on the THP podcast, but like when I was talking about deer, how I think a lot of times deer will bed with cover in mind more so than wind. But that doesn't work as well for those deer on high wind days where they can't hear something coming through that thick cover mm-hmm. behind them, you know, so they mm-hmm. might bed differently in the, in that situation. And, you know, as far as when you're looking at your hunting strategy, that's, that's huge. Or like if you're, you're hunting off the ground, you're still hunting. Okay. There's a day that's calm and you're in hill country. We're well, going to have to pay attention to thermals a little more than you probably are Definitely. the actual Definitely. wind, wind direction. But if it's, it's really great windy, addition. Yeah. So like, or if, but if, but if you have high wind speeds, it's like, okay, now we're, we're going to deal with more of what the predominant wind might be mm-hmm. and some, maybe some swirling that's involved. But like, that's, you know, like for me, when I look at conditions, I would, I need calm days to hunt the bottoms. Otherwise yep. you start getting the swirling going on. So like, mm-hmm. I like cold, calm mornings and, or just days in general and that's when i'm going to hunt my creek bottom spots more yep. if it's if it's windy it's just not going to work there's going to be too much swirling going on mm-hmm. but that's like you know when and i feel like i hear a bunch is like you know like i don't get how you hunt bottoms like that it doesn't make any sense like wind swirls it does this and it's like well if if you look at all the conditions you just got to figure out what's going to work for that spot and not mm-hmm. every spot a calm day maybe that won't work in some areas but like once you learn that and you're able to kind of recognize similar situations, you can use that to your advantage. And it's hard as the season goes on, especially like, you know, talking about the rut a lot here, but like, you know, in the, in the rut, say you're hunting for, you have a week off and you're hunting for seven days straight by day four or five, six, your mind's not exactly where it is. And it's hard for you to, it's, it's easy for you to get lazy with not looking at those conditions and doing things. And I, I think that that makes a big difference of, of still doing whatever you can, whatever it takes you to be able to focus on those, those little things. Uh, it's, you know, that that's just my two cents. I think that's part of what I fell into the trap. Why I fell into that trap is while I had not bow hunted for a while up to that point last year when I when I made that bonehead mistake and then continued to just like do it for a couple days. Like I was hunting with Roy and like I bet you it, I bet you he would have some funny like 
you know, <laughs> memories of me just being like, what the hell are we doing? You know, like, and being frustrated and, and stressed out and flustered because like, I felt like I was late to that decision. And at that point, then you already, your confidence already down, right? That, that hunt was like, I was struggling mentally. I need, and, and when I finally, so actually one of the main reasons I ended up going to New York that year is because I just needed a break from that area that just Ohio, I just needed to get out of there because I was in a bad headspace when I was hunting there. And I finally was just like, I got to do something different because I'm not having, I'm not having any fun anymore. And it was smack in the middle of the gun season. I just left. And like my, and my buddies rolling in too. I just left. I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm not, I'm not having fun with this. And like new faces would have helped, but I knew I was going to hunt with those same guys later during in, in Ohio during muzzleloader season. But I was just like, that was the only dilemma was like, guys, I know, you know, like, I know you're coming here to hunt, but like, I got to go because I'm miserable because I was making bad decisions like that. And then I, it's hard to recover from it. But I think part of the reason that I was there is I had been hunting with Jake and I, but I was filming him and we were hard at it for a really long time. And he checked the conditions. I wasn't checking the conditions as much. He, you know, and as, as cameraman, I'm just letting him pick the decision yep. as to where we go. So I kind of got out of habit of checking the conditions as closely as I have in past years where it was just, it was honestly the longest stretch that I think THP has ever went with like being like hunting that many hours and just be incredibly unsuccessful. I mean, we were around deer, but like, just like we did, we just, we just struggled and like, you know, I value that time as far as like learning a lot about hunting, but you know, it definitely was, that was a struggle. It was a mental game at that point. And like we had a, a breaking point the day before we actually got one, we had a breaking point where we just like made every mistake that we possibly could. Then we went and reset, got our mind right again. We got one. But then when I went to Ohio, start bow hunting, I was out of habit of checking those conditions enough, which isn't. I mean, it's my own fault. I still should have been focused enough to do it, but, but I didn't. And, you know, you were talking about conditions you brought up a really good one being uh calm days and the thermals being a factor. Another consideration that I have when thinking about thermals and how much of uh play they're going to be based off of just what, you know, the wind is being called for, for that day is cloud cover or no cloud cover. Yeah. And, you know, what time of the day you're going to make that approach to a specific area. Like, obviously, sun comes up in the east, sun sets in the west. Well, that is also going to affect what areas have thermal pull earlier at different times of the day. So you combine that with, you know, what time of the day the wind speed is at its highest and its lowest you know, it's just, that's just another like cool little equation you can put into your decision making. And I told Ben, just another last, way to mess with your mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, kidding. It, it, I'm just it's kidding. like, it is, but then like there is a healthy balance of not like just being incredibly, um, anal about everything to the point where you're not having any fun too. Like you can obviously cross a line there. And I think that's, you know, Honestly, too, I was trying not to cross that line last year as well. I was just trying to, like, hunt and have fun and just be out there and cover ground, learn some new stuff. But then I found myself making these mistakes and then setting myself back and, like, burying myself in this, like, you know, mental game where I'm trying to pull myself out and get confidence back. But then I make these mistakes and then I feel, like, down about it or stressed or whatever you want to call that feeling, overwhelmed with the mistake and then, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I for, kind of forget where I was even going with that. Well, but. well I, I guess I, I want to elaborate on that a little bit. Like that, that mental thing is everyone goes through it. And especially like as you start going for days and days on end. And like for me, I found like my sweet spot would be hunt three days, day off hunt well you don't have that luxury all the time you know and if you have a week to hunt or you have you know five whatever it is like it's it's harder but i do think 
So my, my, my old approach was who cares what mental state I'm in? Just grind it out. Get you out know, there. Get, yeah. I need to be in that tree dark to dark every single dang day until Will I hit death. And yeah. And I, I, but the thing was, I wasn't mentally there on some yeah. of those days. And it's like, I've screwed up opportunities where I'm just zoned out and there the bucks right there. And I, and I, I can't do anything about it. And, you know, I can go countless examples of that, but what I, you know, have learned is like, okay, maybe, maybe after, you know, if you're really wore out like that, maybe you do sleep in a little bit and mm-hmm. you, and you hunt your way. If you say you're hunting in a tree, you still hunt your way in, yeah. you know, that was something, again, I've, I've learned a lot of these things from my dad, but that was one thing that, you know, he, that, that he helped him get through like that mental struggle is he'd hunt his way in, call his way into the tree. It's like, you know, thinking about like, depending on what your rut setup is, a lot of times, I mean, I've shot more deer in the middle of the day than I have. I've never shot one in the rut first thing in the morning. It's like, okay, look at those odds. And yeah. and at least from the way my setups are. And, okay, maybe I can get an extra hour of sleep during that yeah. you know that time and move in. It's, it's different if you're hunting like early season bedding and you're trying to beat them back. But like during the rut and you're grinding out like that, if you need that little mental thing that helps you be alert during that time and be more effective during that mm-hmm. time and not make the the little mistakes, I think that's again, this is just my opinion, but I, I for me it's helped. Yeah, I've got to a point where I don't even worry about certain times of the year when it's when I know it's really like hot and like meaning the rut action is is peaking. I don't really worry about getting up at a specific time unless I've got a really specific plan. Again, unless those conditions are calling for me to do that. But like, yeah. let's say, let's say I'm looking at conditions and it's just like where I really want to hunt. Like, let's say I've been hunting an area that's really dense and there's a high stem count. And it's loud. It's hard to walk through without being quiet. So having some sort of cover is nice. And I look at the weather conditions and it's like first thing in the morning, it's going to be dead calm. But by, you know, 930 in the morning, the wind's going to be up to nine miles an hour. Well, that we can really work with. But at first light, trying to get it there in the dark and trying to tiptoe your way in when there might be deer around, you may be doing more harm than good. But in that situation, especially again, when, when you get later in the season and deer movement just starts to continue to work in your favor, they're just doing more of it. It's just like, are, what are you out, really, if you just slide in there even at 9.30, you know? Yeah. Mess around, go eat some breakfast, like sleep till 7.38, go eat some breakfast and roll, you know, roll up to the spot at 9 o'clock. Like, is it that big of a deal? And like, you know, also, I do that a lot during gun season as well, you know, kind of for, for like people coming out to do what I just did, I'm going in to catch that movement that they're they're pushing around coming out you know you're gonna you're gonna find similar similar things in like uh uh pennsylvania as you would at ohio like during gun season right like there's a big wave of people that go out like it's a lot of people out there and there wasn't you know there wasn't as many during bow season but now there's tons of people and you can let that you know bother you to the point that you don't go or you could use it to your advantage you know with that little strategy of just taking, you know, taking the morning off. Honestly, I don't like getting up that early. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I like, I don't want to get up at four thirty in the morning. I just don't like, I, I used to do that all the time, but I don't want to anymore. So I was just like, I, I'm not going to. So I stopped and I feel way better. And I feel not, not just, I honestly don't even just feel mentally better, but I also feel physically better when you physically feel like, you know, if you were to walk into, you know, a basketball court and you're going to play a pickup basketball game, you'd want to feel physically sharp, right? You'd want to feel stretched out, loose, you know, not achy, tired, just fatigued in general. Why wouldn't you want to do the same thing with hunting? Even even if you're going to to set up and stay in one spot, you're going to be way sharper physically as well if you feel good. And you're going to be able to take your time, be patient moving in, take the extra second to glass. And I just, you know, I really value sleep. Like I I used to think it was stupid, you know, like what, eight hours of sleep, whatever. And like when you're 
you know, a kid, it doesn't matter, right? Like even when you're, even when you're 22 years old, it doesn't really like whatever. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. You sleep, you know, a bunch of nights at five or six hours a night and you feel fine. Well, that starts to catch up with you. And then it's just like, it just keeps getting worse and worse and harder and harder to just have these really, really short nights and just be extremely physical day in and day out and just, you know, be at your best. To me, it's just like, if that's true, which it is, why not just sleep in? And (laughs) it's funny because Jake and I both kind of like to do it. So we just do that a fair amount. It's just (laughs) like, who cares? You know? Don't worry well, about it, you know, just roll out there whenever you want and like don't worry about time, you know, too much, I guess. Like it helps and again, I'm talking about on one end about paying really specific attention, but then on this end it's to to the fine detail of conditions and stuff, but then it's like, yeah, but don't care about time. I mean, yeah, you have to balance that, but still, it's just but it yeah. does it does play in with conditions too, like mm-hmm. you know, especially you know d- during the rut. Like the way I look at like when I'm trying to catch, most of my spots are like either around doe bedding or like transition points. And what I've found is those bucks are waiting for those does to bed down. And like if you've mm-hmm. ever been in a spot where you're watching does go back to bed, uh, I remember there's one spot I was setting up on a specific doe group, which I don't do that often, but I was set up on a specific doe group. And those does were coming back kind of relatively late in the morning to go back to bed. And they'd come funneling through out of this cut and they'd go lay on this little thick crap and briar bushes in the corner there. And it wasn't until an hour, hour and a half, two hours after they bedded down before the bucks started coming. And I'm not acting like there's a buck parade here, but like, you know, a buck or two every few days that would come, you know, check that. And I was like, that, that was kind of a clicking point with me and, in my like in the past years and i've talked about this on the podcast before but when i was working my job and doing this i was not getting much sleep i mean four or five hours a night and constantly and i was just run down i was just like mentally i wasn't there i know i'm not mentally there all the time but like <laughs> it's like worse than normal it was worse and yeah. it was and and i've really prioritized sleep more um to the point where like my goal is 7 hours and if I get six and a half, I call that pretty good. But like I, I, I shoot for seven hours and like I feel so much better when I'm getting that versus when I was getting, oh, you know, yeah. four to five hours. So I, I always wear this Garmin watch when I sleep because I'm like interested in seeing how I track my sleep. And yeah. uh, and I literally looked at my the data and I was averaging like four hours and 18 minutes of sleep for like the last year that I could see this data. And I was like, that is stupid. And, and now I I feel so much better because of, because of that. And there's also the idea of being able to go to bed earlier. And that's a discipline too, of, uh, you know, to be able to get up earlier, but depending on the conditions and when you're hunting, you know, as you get later in the uh, later in the season with the time change stuff, that helps a little bit with you mm-hmm. being able to go to bed early. But you and I were just talking the other night. Now with things not getting dark till like seven or so, by the time you you get back from your spot or wherever you're at, and then you drive to location and eat dinner, it's like okay, we're we're looking at nine thirty, ten o'clock at this point, you know, and it's yeah. it's already yeah. getting late and 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 difficult from from that standpoint so i'm I'm glad you glad you brought that up and i I think i think that's a really good i think that's a really good just perspective on it um i I don't think everyone agrees with us on that point but i i just think that that it uh keeping your mind and body like you said in 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 good shape will help (laughs) you on those longer stints while you're trying to trying to be effective yeah it's something that it's hard to force yourself to do. And like, I guarantee there's going to come a point this season where I struggle. I mean, honestly, this next week, I'm probably going to do it. I'm probably, especially being the first, you know, opportunity to have to chase deer in a place that I've been excited about hunting. I'm probably going to have a hell of a time taking a morning off, you know, like it, yeah. or, or, you know, even just rolling up late to waking up late, you know, especially when you got good, cool conditions. Like I, I always like mornings too. I struggle with it. I always like mornings because I feel that a lot of times the coolest part of the day is in the morning. So it's just like, mm-hmm. it always feels good to be out there in the morning. And sometimes in the afternoon, it just 
was hot and stagnant and it just you know especially when you just got a real average october november day it's just in most in most parts of the country you know where you're talking 60 or more degrees and 65 or more degrees probably and it's just like eh, i don't like i don't know i don't like being out there when it's that warm all the way till you know the last half hour of, of daylight as much as i do when you know that same morning it's really chilly all the way till nine thirty, ten o'clock and you said something about the bucks filtering later and i think you know they're waiting for the does during the rut but even if they're not worried about those like even this time of the year what's a advantage about catching or, or i guess put it to them at a vulnerable spot in the mornings is I think sometimes they'll make a decision on where to bed based off of how the conditions are at first light, which usually is very different than what it is at like right around eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning. And, and a lot of times you can even predict that, again, by looking at the hourly forecast and looking at all those conditions on an hourly basis and just looking for when that little wind shift or that little wind pickup is going to be. And you hear a lot of people talk about like, uh, well, I guess I, I guess I at least feel like I hear more people talk about hunting deer, trying to catch, uh, anticipate a really big move based off of a really big wind shift. So what I mean by that is setting up, knowing that the wind is going to switch from the straight north to the straight south at, you know, a specific hour of the day, trying to anticipate movement of a buck feeling like he's unsafe in his bed based off of that major wind change. He makes a major, you know, bed shift. But what I don't feel like you hear a whole lot of is bucks making minor bed shifts based off of, just simply like the wind picking up and it's definitely something that happens. Like there's been a lot of hunts where I've been paying attention to that, like waiting for that to kind of just, you know, prove my theory or not prove my theory. And, uh, a lot of moves by bucks. It's almost like a specific time too, depending on when it gets daylight and you're in your area. But that will change that, I guess, and time change and all those factors or whatever, but time of the season. But it's like there's a specific time of the day where the sun starts to heat everything up just enough that it actually makes the wind start moving around versus being calm. And a lot of times bucks will make a move. So if you're tight to where they're bedded, you might just be, you know, in a position where you can catch that movement or you can get eyes on them. And I just, I've had a lot of cool hunts where I've observed exactly that. The the first huh. buck that I ever shot, like non non res, in uh... well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with a buddy's Hoy RX8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid, like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the GoSticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. 
So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. In uh, Nebraska. So I'd, I'd only hunted as a resident in Ohio and Iowa up to this point. It was the first trip that I'd ever done like as a non-resident tag holder. And it was with Jake and Brody. It was the first year we did THP. And we were we were struggling to get an opportunity. We decided to wind bump this area and just see what came out. It was this really thick spot right off the road that we never saw anybody hunting. And it just, you know, seemed like an overlooked spot. And instead of just like, you know, worrying about not spooking anything, we just decided to spook it and see what, what happened, what came out, and then ultimately just scout it well the wind bump was unsuccessful for us getting a shot i was trying to bump brody also had a tag because um because he grew up in nebraska so he's going to get a tag regardless anyway i tried to bump this bedding area to him i did it i bumped the buck though unsuccessfully to him but i watched him leave that pocket of cover and run up and over the hills and i was like well that's shooter buck like you know that's a that's a good buck we know he's in here and to be honest i didn't necessarily just think like right away like oh bump and dump i just what made me stay in that area was when i continued working through it was just like i found beds everywhere there were buck beds everywhere with rubs in them like across the whole thing it was crazy and i also bumped a doe and a spike and we ended up hunting in there the next couple hunts and saw all those deer or saw all the other deer that we bumped the doe, the spike go right back to where they came or had come out of when I bumped it the first time, which was building my confidence that he would come back, you know, sure enough. It was like, I think it was day six and we had hunted there day five and then the morning of day six and first light, a deer even blew at us in the dark. Things calmed back down. We were set up in the tree in the dark. And right before first light, we heard this deer come in this thicket and it was super calm. This is, that's an important part of this particular morning. Super, super calm. And we heard this buck or heard a deer, which we assumed was a buck because it sounded like antlers hitting stuff. Went just out of sight. You know, it's, it's, it's not legal, but it's just light daylight enough that you can maybe see him go through there, but it's real thick and you just never really saw anything. Skirted just out of sight and went out to like probably 60 to 80 yards somewhere in there. And then all of a sudden silent, like he had been moving around and making all this noise. It was really calm and he just plopped down right in the middle of all that stuff. And it was a really, really tall, thick little pocket and this whole area is only like 10 acres tops and um he just plopped right in the middle of it but dead calm and I, and my belief and well you know jake and brody and i after breaking the hunt down after the fact it's just like it would make sense for him to bed there on those conditions because you couldn't get to him without just like blowing up the world like you'd make so much noise if you were going to yeah. go straight at him and like <clears throat> try to just shoot him in his bed it would be almost impossible with those conditions in that type of cover to get to him so it made sense but like clockwork man 8:30 the wind started picking up and was blowing like out of the south and it was just i mean immediately it was like as soon as that wind started, you know, just just consistently enough moving from that direction, it was like he got he's got to get up, and he stood up, he made a rub, and he just walked, he just marched straight in and shot him at like ten yards, huh. and that move I truly believe was was wind, you know, just that subtle wind change, and he didn't leave the area, you know, he was only like sixty or eighty yards, like I said, tops bedded away from us, but you know, just that tiny little move. And I, I believe that he was going to bed right in front of where we were. Cause there was tons of beds right there that would set up to where he'd have the wind at his back and look out. Yep. And he just made that super subtle move and just set up better for him. I mean, he still has those same advantages he did in that bed in the middle, but he could just see a little bit more with the wind at his back in that spot he was going to. And like, I, 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 
I'm definitely not going to sit here and say that that's exactly how I planned that to happen, but I learned a lot from it after the fact, like mm-hmm. him getting up and making that shift was, was pretty sweet. And he did do like a J hook straight into that spot. So again, when, huh. like when I shot him, he was J, you know, he was at the, like the last part of the J, I guess. I guess I'll be if, honest. You draw, if you draw your J's from the long, you know, the, the straight side first. <laughs> You yeah. know what I'm talking about, yeah. though, like <laughs> this part. <laughs> I didn't know but, anybody would start from the bottom side and go up. We're do, we're, you know, for you anyone know listening, out there. We're, we're drawing it in the video side. But, yeah, there, yeah, there is you, definitely You know they're people. out there. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely those people. That'd be like... That'd be like someone that like dots their eye before they draw like the long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the same thing. I, I I'll be honest. I've never paid attention to that. Like as far as the wind speed and you know, and and as you're saying that, it's making me wonder. You know, when I find bucks or like beds that are in the middle of a giant thicket or clear cut, and then you know sometimes you find them on the outskirts. It's like maybe that's because of those those wind conditions mm-hmm. and I, the the wind I speed. Definitely think there's a good chance. Definitely a good chance. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna. St- I'm going to pay attention to it. I, 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 I guarantee real soon here, you're going to see a really good example of it. Just like that, that, that calm day. I mean, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. That calm morning when no wind is moving. And then all of a sudden it just gets, starts getting that like little breeze. I mean, as soon as, and a lot of times, again, why I say it's, it's a time thing is, because it's a certain time when the sun starts to warm things and starts moving air, yep. you know, because when it's really calm like that, you know, no, no, there's no temperature change all night. It's just been the same temperature change. And then as it starts to get daylight, everything starts to very slowly warm up, but then there gets to be a point in the sun that like, where a point when the sun gets high enough to where it's just heating up enough stuff that it just really, really starts getting stuff moving around. And it's, it's it's definitely it was something that I just was like, is that really happening? But it gets to the point now where like, you know, definitely I know a lot of it comes from like that very first hunt that we observed it. But there's definitely a time now where like Jake and I will be like, All right, like start getting serious, like the wind's doing something now. And yeah, you know, kinda like clockwork, boom, there they start you know, and I, like I said, I don't think it's always a huge move, but think about like the advantages they also have when they're moving with a little bit of wind and also how quickly they can be at a disadvantage just based off of a, 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 a condition change like that. Yeah. You know, like where all of a sudden they're in the thick stuff and it's super windy where it wasn't when they first laid down there three hours ago. It's just like, well, I better get out of here. <laughs> Makes, I, I mean, it makes sense to me, but maybe it's all in my head, but it, it definitely seems like it's something. It doesn't matter I've if observed. it's in your head, if it works. That's <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. <laughs> no, that, that, that makes total sense, man. No, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot from this one. Just like, <clears throat> it's, it's cool too, to get to talk to you because you've got to hunt so many different places at all different times of the year and just observe things. And that's where like you get this you get so much and like also like where you you can have these you know theories on things and then see whether it's proved you know after you know multiple situations you know pause like you're right or you're you know weren't correct on it mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and and just helps you as you go as you're making these strategies you're talking about and looking at these conditions that helps make that more calculated every time definitely and you know there's just, but we were talking about this. I think maybe it was before we recorded, but the situational tactics and how, you know, it, it feels redundant and silly sometimes to just say, "Well, that's situational," but but it really is because, you know, there's there's just so many little factors that go into every little decision, and you know, I think. I think I just enjoy that process and I feel like it's easy for me to take advantage of thinking about all those things when I'm hunting on the ground. I don't, 
I don't know, but but it doesn't matter, I guess, regardless of how you do it. I guess it works for me. It just works for me. Yeah. But but the same thing goes for like tree stand setups, like especially when you're talking about wind. You know, there's just like so many little fine details that you can use to your advantage and like, you know, ultimately just manipulate the situation in your favor. Even even like beating them with their own manipulation of it you know what i mean it's like you almost have to be thinking like what how might this affect them as much as it's affecting or or, you know you're also thinking about them you're thinking about you you're taking the conditions and you're just trying to intercept one that way just trying you're just trying to bump into one yeah that's exactly right (laughs) that's all we're trying to do (laughs) just trying to bump into one we bumped into one a little bit too hard in north dakota it was a pretty hilarious video. It's probably like one of the hardest like runovers that we've ever had. Uh, I'm working on. I'm, the reason I bring it up is because it's. I just have been working on this video all day, so it's all <laughs> thinking about. But we did talk about bumping into one. We just straight up plowed him down. Just like, yeah, just really ran him over. He was like ten yards and just head like head on collision. And he ran. That was the hardest. He turned bump. inside out. <laughs> yeah, that was the hardest bump that Jake and I have maybe ever had. Like it was pretty <laughs> hilarious. I mean, we've probably had we've probably had other deer. Like, but for a buck that we were like, yeah, I mean, if we get you know if we get in, he he was by no means like a monster or anything. But it's just like, yeah, you know, we're we were trying to get him. We had already yeah. made a move on him once, and it was super windy, and he got uncomfortable. Well, I don't know. I don't, we don't think he was spooking from us because he was looking a different direction and he like went yeah. back into the cattails. Well, then he popped out again and he caught us off guard and we started to make the move. Well, he came closer to us than we thought he was going to and we just ran him right. I mean, running out, like running low on time too. Just a whole bunch of just stupid mistakes that we, you know, things that we overthought and just complete, I mean, dude, just ran him over. That was a weird one. That doesn't happen. That doesn't... We definitely mess it up. But we usually don't do that. <laughs> not, that not that bad. <laughs> not that bad. Uh, just complete fail. That's funny. <clears throat> well, Zach, I think we should probably wrap this up because I feel like I'm back in college and I'm at the bar and I'm I'm <laughs> drinking Red Bull vodka so I try to keep myself going where like my body is still racing, but my mind is kind of shot at this point. I know. So it's yeah. one thirty in the morning right now. <laughs> and we, we first started talking at like eight thirty. So yeah, like yeah, before eight. Yeah. Eight, so yeah, a good, <laughs> a good five and a half hours. We've been spending on the phone between the podcast and everything else, which I've enjoyed the conversation, but oh, I, think yeah. I think I'm ready for bed. Yeah, you're right. It's it's time. I've been doing the the bad thing too for me is I've been doing this the last couple nights, staying up talking because I got these new friends here that let me stay at their <laughs> at their place, and I'm just like having a good time talking. So then I just do it for entirely too long. But yeah, yeah, I still haven't really ate enough food for the day, so I'm probably eat something, hit the hay. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, so. Zach, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll run through a few things and then you can give other spots, but check out the hunting public on YouTube. If you're obviously, you know, haven't heard of them or living under a rock, check them out there. Any of the social media platforms, um, where else can, and, and where else can people find you and the hunting public at podcast, the Uh, podcast. We also have a podcast, which just did run with Bo and it was awesome. Um, and then. Uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, we also have a website, thehuntingpublic.com. You can, from there, you could probably find pretty much everything that we do. But yeah, if you Google the hunting public, you'll probably find the website and YouTube videos. And that's probably the coolest things. Yeah. <laughs> the, podcast. <laughs> uh, the podcast is cool too. That's where you're going to get the most content. That's your but, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I've like been doing that for a long time now. It's kind of crazy how many like, to watch the episode number just climb slowly. It's yeah. pretty fun to watch that. It's it's two twenty six, I think is the one we just did. So it's like Really? Yeah. 
I didn't even realize that that, I, I guess I saw it cause you released that one with me there, but I didn't realize it was that many already. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Crazy. You started it not I, long after I did. Yeah. It, well, and at first, when we first started doing it, we didn't really have a schedule or a plan. We just were kind of like recording these podcasts and throwing them up. And then we realized that there's probably like an opportunity to, you know, stay more consistent on it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like what I was assigned. And I was just like, you know, let's see what happens. And like, it's just crazy as time goes on. You just chip away at that number. Next thing you know, 226. It's pretty yeah. crazy. That is but crazy. Yeah. yeah, well, check that. All those things out. Yeah, like Zach said, you type in the hunting public anywhere. You'll find find all the good stuff there. So thank you again for coming on, man. I appreciate it, especially during the middle of hunting season. Uh, I, I do appreciate it. Absolutely, dude. I mean, anytime. I love, you know, I love <laughs> talking deer hunting with you, and I had a blast. And thanks for having me. It was It was awesome. Yeah, sweet, man. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.